I'm Kua. And this is Kendra. And this is the Black Gems Dive In Podcast. Podcast about inclusive cultures and everything DEI. Hey, Kua. Hey, girl. How you doing? Good, good. How was your, your relaxation time last week? Definitely needed. Thanks for holding it down. Of course, of course. We actually got a lot of great engagement we did um from our podcast last week about the vaccine and communities of color and um a lot of dialogue that's happening around that right now yeah it was definitely a great episode when i when i um listened to it afterwards there were just so many pertinent um questions that were answered and like you said so many people were just talking about it afterwards and i know some people still have questions it's been shared multiple times so if you still have questions definitely hit us up um and we'll respond to that yeah yeah so we're back, back for another week, back for another episode. Yes, yes. What's this? Episode three. Episode three. Episode three. So this episode is sponsored by Leadership Buffalo. So again, thank you for Leadership Buffalo again for sponsoring um, this episode. And Leadership Buffalo again is connecting people and inspiring change. So this week we want to just talk about this different event that Leadership Buffalo has going on. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that they have going on this week, they have their annual meeting in State of LB which is the 25th um, this Thursday from 12 to 1. Um, There is no charge to attend this event, um, but they look forward to having you all. Um, They also have a mental health workshop and Horizon Health Services workshop on March 10th. And they have a D&I workshop coming up. So I'll let Akua plug that in. Absolutely. So um, they have a diversity and inclusion workshop on March 11th from 12 to 1.30. And I will actually be leading that workshop um, and having a, a discussion about awareness and cultural identity. So I think, um, you know, it's it's an interactive workshop. I love to make sure that we're interactive and, and getting folks um, having some conversation around these different issues. The topic is cultural humility, the intersection of identity and inclusion and how, how we show up and how we can make more inclusive environments and spaces for where we work. So I'm excited to do that. This will be our third workshop mm-hmm. on the same topic and they got a great donation from MNT Bank. So it is um, a reduced cost now to attend. Yeah, so definitely tap in. Um, I know this will be a great workshop. It will be. Yes, it will be. <laughs> it definitely will be a great workshop. So again, this episode is sponsored by Leadership, Leadership Buffalo. Buffalo. So yeah, let's jump right in, dive right in. Uh, we're gonna have uh, we have two special guests that we're bringing to you uh, to this episode. Really excited to introduce both of them. I'm going to start with Shannon. Uh, so Shannon Curry is an accomplished brand consultant, strategic communicator influencer and advocate with over a decade of experience working with Fortune Fortune 500 corporations, institutions, and emerging businesses. Uh, Shannon is passionate and she has a commitment to community service, civic engagement, and mentorship. She's a co-president of the Bergen and Hudson County, New Jersey Urban League for Young Professionals, also known as the Alliance. Uh, Under her leadership, this nationally recognized group of community leaders, ages 21 to 40, work to empower communities and change lives through volunteerism, philanthropy, and membership development. Um, and actually this past summer, Shannon was honored to be named the um, National Urban League Young Professionals 2020 Female President of the Year. Yeah, hey, Shannon, congratulations. Hey, 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 some some accomplishments going on here. Um, and then Thank currently- you, Queen. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so currently she's a VP of uh, Benenson Strategy Group, a strategic research based, uh, based consultancy where she specialized in qual- qualitative research and strategic messaging. And so she has a whole host of accolades. Shannon, we are super excited uh, for you to join our podcast this week. Hey, Thank Shannon. you. I appreciate you guys. New York, New York. Yay. Hey. Upstate, downstate. Hey. <laughs> um, and our next guest is another one of our YP family, Jermichael McCoy um, from VA. Had to throw that in there. So Jermichael McCoy is a business and civic leader who dedicates his time to advocating for and empowering the greater Richmond community. He is passionate about bringing more people into the political process and showing them the power of their vote. Currently, Jermichael is a business development manager at a sports equipment manufacturer and a capstone advisor at Georgetown University. Go Hoyos. I had to say that, too. (laughs) Um, He wants to use his policy and business experience to enhance the lives of his fellow Richmonders. Additionally, Jermichael is the immediate past president for the Urban League Greater Richmond Young Professionals. And under his leadership, the organization donated $10,000 in scholarships to Richmond public student, uh, public school students. He also served on the Advisory Council for Richmond uh, 300 Citywide Master Plan, the board for Venture Forum RVA, a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, Inc., and the Life Church RVA. He holds a BA with honors from Tennessee State University and HBU and a Master's of Professional Studies from Georgetown University. He is a 2020 TSU alumni 40 under 40 honoree and has been featured in various publications, including the Washington Post, Richmond Free Press, Roland Martin Unfiltered, which was really great. Had a chance to tune into that. NBC 12 and ABC 8. So welcome Jermichael McCoy from Richmond VA. Great to be here, ladies. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. So... Um, this this week we're gonna start with our hot topic. Let's dive right Let's on dive in. Dive right in. So this week our hot topic is about black the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Black Lives Matter movement has been nominated um, by a Norwegian um, Prime Minister Peter Eide, Um and he had nominated the movement for the struggle against racism and race and racially motivated violence. He wrote in his official nomination papers, Black Lives Matter calls for a systemic change that that spreads around the world, forcing other countries to grasp with racism within their own societies. Yeah, I I was reading um, some of the articles that came out around this nomination, and uh, one of the things that he also highlighted was that the Black Lives Matter movement was bringing forward a new consciousness and awareness about racial justice. He also meant it mentioned that it carries and carries forward a movement of racial justice and a spread that to other countries and how important that is. So not only is it a strong force today, but um, it's been inspiring folks around the globe to have these conversations as well. And so I thought that was really important, right? Like it's not just a movement happening here in the States. Mm -hmm. We're talking Asia, we're talking Europe, we're talking all these other countries. And we remember seeing like, you know, last summer, all the different countries that were standing in solidarity with us here in the States. And so I thought that was really, really good that they mentioned um, that in terms of the nomination itself too. It's a global movement. Right. Definitely global movement. So have you, Jermichael and Shannon, have you guys had any involvement in Black Lives Matter? How do you feel about this this hot topic? Um, yeah, well, you know, I will her. say thank you. By the way, me and me and Jermichael are both birthday twins. 
So if we start hey. talking at the same time, we're double Scorpios. <laughs> going to be a lot of passionate conversations today. Um, you know, I think, I believe we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter later on today. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of a, a social commentary from a, a global organization about just the domestic policy issues that we have here in the United States. Mm. Um, that same person also nominated Trump to get a Nobel mm-hmm. Peace Prize. So, um, you know, I don't know if he's having his own come to Jesus <laughs> moment, but um, I do think that the the movement itself was um, it, it, it was just that, it, you know, it spread across the country um, and then the, the globe. And let's just go ahead and acknowledge that today is yet another young man. Today is um, Ahmaud Arbery's anniversary mm-hmm. of his tragic uh, loss of his life. And so, you know, I think the the movement at large, you know, it really did pick up in the last year. And I think they uh, they deserve it. Now, the organization versus the movement, we could talk about that later. Oh, we're definitely going to dive into that one. Good point. Good point. Yes. Right. In, in addition to that, right, I think it just shows, right, the the power of black culture, right? Like, and how it has, like, this rebellious spirit that is contagious. And how a movement, right, that was started in the aftermath uh, by three sisters on the, in the wrongful um acquittal right of the killer of Trayvon Martin right and how uh that movement right has shifted and uh changed policy right but also it's a, a source of influence all around the world right where people see how even in the United States of America right uh a society that promotes democracy and freedom and justice for all how it has this inherent conflict when it comes to black people Right. And how that hypocrisy is on display uh, for the world to see and how other people stand the solidarity of our movement here. And I think that's just very valid. That's a really great point. And I think, um, you know, one other thing to to note, right, because they talk about the, the tie in Black Lives Matter and how it's caring for the legacy of early earlier movements such as the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. right and we know that um the anti-apartheid movement that happened in south um africa as well so both martin luther king jr and um you know nelson mandela won this prize back in the day for the the movements and the work that they used to do but i think it's important to highlight the connection because oftentimes and especially because we're still in it you know like i think if you if you go back in time and you think about some of, some of those movements that were happening, mm-hmm. I'm sure there was a lot of dialogue and conversation that opposed both of those movements, right? And we, we know that. And so I think it's important to kind of highlight the parallels that are happening mm-hmm. now. There's a lot of people that are like, why would you nominate Black Lives Matter? You know, they try to associate Black Lives Matter with, with other hatred that, that happens yes. in the country. And I think it's important just to kind of note the reason and, and those correlations as right. well. And we'll talk, so I guess we could dive right let's into dive our, in, let's, let's dive into we, our topic. We're already here. <laughs> we're here, we're here. Um, so this episode, we'll talk about from civil rights to Black Lives Matter, right. um, the evolution of social and political movements. And Kui, you, you jumped it off. You you mm-hmm. said, you know, civil rights 
there's a parallel between the civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Civil rights really jumped off that movement with Emmett Till, the death hmm. of Emmett Till. Hmm. Um, and we all know the story, you know, 14 years old, coming from Chicago, um, down south, and he was um, wrongfully... And we know that now. Yes, we know that came out. That recently, came out recently, uh, where a woman had said that he uh, whistled at her, a white woman, um, in the store, and so he was dragged out of his home mm-hmm. um, at night, and he was brutally murdered. And so that was really the catalyst for the civil rights movement. Now let's move to modern day, 2013, with Trayvon Martin and Black Lives Matter. That's what really jumped off that right. whole movement as well. So there are parallels, right? But we also have to talk about how did we get here? Yeah. And I mean, if you think about going 50 years back, and that's why I said that before, like these arguments came up back then. Um, the arguments that, oh, it wasn't peaceful or, oh, they're they're disruptors. Oh, they're just, you know, but the reality is when ever in history has without like, you know, putting things on front front street mm-hmm. front and center like on full blast when have we ever gotten any rights just kind of asking politely politely and and looking at folks like hey can you please give us some civil rights can we please vote yeah <laughs> can we please you know get equal opportunity yeah i don't know so i think you know that's something that i wanted to highlight that those parallels exist and um uh i i guess his name or Edie, i don't know how yeah. how um you say his last name but he said that he was prepared for the critique because people were were trying to say oh this is a violent movement but they have um data that back backs this up saying 93% of all the um the protests and rallying that happened were were generally peaceful mm-hmm. um and that the most of the like violent encounters that had happened were because of police um presence and counter protesters and so um he he did kind of put that forward too. Right. And if I may like chime in here, right, I think it's like a really interesting juxtaposition in the critique, right, of black liberation organizations uh, uh, in American society, right, in this conversation about violence, right? And I think one thing we have seen historically, right, uh, uh, in the black liberation movement, right, which is like post uh, reconstruction mm-hmm. uh, in the late 18th centuries, right, mm-hmm. is a series of peaceful, nonviolent demonstrations, right, that was primarily, you know, in juxtaposition, right, to violence, right? Hmm. Uh, In our society, white supremacy, right, is predicated on violence. And so the part of the radical aspect of the civil rights movement that was uh, spearheaded by the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and many others, right, was this this understanding that we cannot fight fire with fire, right? In the words of the late great Fred Hampton, right? You don't fight fire with fire, you fight fire with water. Hmm. And so how we took a radical approach because this wasn't working, right? And I just think that's very, that was just very dope. And Chad, you got something to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I will piggyback off your Fred Hampton. <laughs> reference since you know we all done watched Judas and the Black Messiah right um you know he said it's about the the people and you know one of the things that I've been thinking about this month throughout Black History Month and our you know our civil rights leaders are about most of them were seminary students hmm. you know everything that they preached and talked about was walk in grace and teach people with dignity and I think that's what really was the movement of this summer was f- for uh, another generation we were willing to go outside 
in a deathly pandemic that had zero vaccine mm-hmm. on the table yet right. and risk our bodies physically again mm-hmm. in a nonviolent way to say, I can't do this anymore. Like enough is enough. Now, whether or not that's going to actually lead to systemic change and whatnot, we'll see. I think I'm that's faithful, a good point. You know, hopeful about it. I think that's a really good point in terms of um, you hope the, a lot. the the systemic change, right? Because I think locally we know things like uh, the chokehold was banned here locally in mm-hmm. Buffalo, and we did see some of those uh, legislative pieces kind of get moved forward and folks talking about it. Um, There was a lot of pressure last summer, right? There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of demonstrations. You know, visually you saw it everywhere. It was covered on the news. Um, It felt like white folks really had an awakening in this moment. This this is something that in in communities of color we've seen for a very long time. But um, that's why when we we started this podcast, it was literally around that time where it was like all these different organizations are trying to make a stand uh, we saw this with our own eyes when, when George Floyd, you know, was knelt on for eight minutes and whatever seconds. And people were just like, this is crazy. We need to do something. Um, since then, I, I I don't know. I mean, I know th- those those same sentiments um, are kind of lingering, but it doesn't feel like it's as strong as it was um, last year. But to your point, Shannon, I think we have seen some of that shift in terms of the conversations around legislation. Like I know locally we have some leaders who are trying to push some different, mm-hmm. um, you know, legislation to really make changes. But right. have we seen that overarching change? I don't know. I, yeah, I agree with you. And what I'm seeing, too, is that, you know, last summer, again, seeing those images, um, seeing what happened, a lot of organizations really said we stand in solidarity of Black Lives Matter. But to them, I, now that I look back at it, it almost seems like it was just a statement and a hashtag. Mm. And so that's one thing I want to talk about is from hashtag to movement, because mm-hmm. it's easy to post something. It's easy to t- do hashtag BLM. But what does that really mean when it comes to the actual movement? Right. And so what we're seeing now is that there's a lot of organizations that's retreating on that and saying, whoa, we don't support Black Lives Matter because it's a political movement. Right. You know, we really can't stand behind this because it's focused on violence like we talked about. It's, you know, uh, working on specific pieces of legislation. And so now that people are really starting to see that this takes work. Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter is Mm -hmm. not just a hashtag Mm -hmm. and a statement Mm -hmm. that you can put in in your rhetoric within your organization. We have to do the work. And so, you know, what I'm seeing now in always push even within the conversations I have is let's move to behind you know behind the scenes the hashtag the what I call trigger happy fingers on the keyboard to now let's get down to the movement and I know some of the conversation that we had like you know was the work that we were doing like within my my organization we created a racial equity action plan based off of that so you know for us it was mostly like let's hop on this wagon while it's hot while people are really interested in this and let's put some stuff down we don't got the board to say yes we got our executive team to say yes everybody saying yes now it's in motion now we got a budget now we have things behind it and so although the you know the the urgency and and the way that we were feeling last summer has kind of you know we're in the pandemic and, and other things are happening i think by putting an emphasis on it there's still some movement behind it. And so to your point, how do you take it from hashtag to full blown movement yep. um, and, and make sure that the, the conversations are continued? 
I think plenty of people, you know, this summer really got to understand the uh, the, the, the Black Lives Matter around the world um, is not just a political movement. You know, it really did become that social movement. Mm. But this is still the United States of America. And at the end of the day, to affect real change, like you said, you got to somebody's got to put down the megaphone and get dressed on Monday morning and come prepare with their talking points of what do you actually want to have change. Right. You guys are talking about, you know, your chokeholds. I know a bunch of cities are trying to implement pilot programs where if someone is in mental distress mm. and they call 911, it doesn't even go through, you know, the police department dispatch. It goes to a social services. Someone has to get past the anger Mm-hmm. And the you know the black squares and the yeah, I'm cool and I'm for it and I bought all of my lit T-shirts to what specifically yeah. do you want to change mm-hmm. and 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 social mm-hmm. movements are so big and all encompassing and cultural you know the civil rights movement there was just and it still is just a lot of things on the table mm-hmm. from you know housing to education to healthcare to whatever that you're trying to resolve for. But when you start talking about political movements, what's the specific issue you try to work on? I think people get lost and think that Black Lives Matter are a bunch of different things because it's become so many different That's things. That's a good point. Yes. And so, and so Shannon... And if, I, if I may chime... Go ahead. Go ahead, Jermichael. Oh, if I may chime in here, right? Because I think your, your earlier point you were talking about, right? Like, you know... Like, you know, where has the movement been, right? And then where are we going, right? And I think for a context, right, when you think of uh, of the civil rights movement, right, which some would say is just a, a continuing struggle for black liberation, right? It was six organizations, often called the big six, right? Mm. And, you know, Dr. Reverend, Dr. Martin Luther King, right, ran uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, right? But you also had James Farmer, right, who ran the Congress of uh, Racial Equity. You had John Lewis, right, who was the snake running the young people. Right. But you also had labor at the table with A. Philip Randolph. You had the NAACP uh, with Roy Wilkins. But you know, also you had the late great uh, Whitney M. Young with the National Urban League. Uh-huh. Now, I think it's also interesting, right, and fitting that we're on this show, right? We talk about the big six, right, these organizations, but also the men associated. But we also talk about all the women, right, Absolutely. that were a part of those, like, kitchen cabinets and who were part of the structure, right? And not just in a in a culinary way, right? Not just like the the, the black women like cooking meals for for Dr. Martin Luther King, right? We also talking about the sisters like the Diane Ashes, uh, the the students from Tennessee State University and Fisk University out there mobilizing and strategizing like how are we gonna push this forward? And so I think it's important to understand like during that era they laid a lot of foundations right for both the the unrest in terms of pushing the envelope in terms of the struggle in the streets, right? The marches, uh, the the lunch counters. But you also had organizations fighting in the courtroom, hmm. right? That was the, the NAACP. But you also had them in the boardroom. Uh, that was Whitney M. Young, right? Because we understood that the, the front, the battle has different fronts. We need the young people because they have the energy. But we also need the strategy to make sure labor is taken care of, right? So with A. Philip Randolph, making sure that black men, uh, predominantly, but also black women, right, were being treated fairly in their their labor uh, organization. Uh, Making sure that black people had a ladder into corporate America. Mm -hmm. Because we saw that corporate America controlled a lot of jobs. Right. Right. And then also making sure we find these issues in the court. Um, And so I think that is just, you know, important to understand as we talk about Black Lives Matter, 
It's about the structural organization. Some of them who are still quite, you know, active today, right, are all play a role in this. I think I think that's a really great point and a, a great breakdown of all the things that simultaneously were happening happening at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And so, I guess that 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 urges the question: Do we feel like there's that type of um, structure to what's happening currently, right? Because I know when this movement was coming out and and a lot of conversations kind of happened around there not being a centralized person. We watched uh, Judas, you know, in the Black Messiah. We watched what happened with some of our prominent leaders. There's a lot of discussions right now happening around Malcolm X and the role of the FBI and and other things that were happening at that time um, that we saw play out with Fred Hampton, who was a young man, very young, Mm -hmm. um, and, and was targeted because because they were getting a little bit too big and, and a little bit too, um, you know, influential. And so I know the conversations around Black Lives Matter was saying, no, we, we don't have a single person that we look to because we know what what generally has happened in the past to our leadership who has been, you know, kind of in the forefront. They they're being targeted. Right. Um, so do we feel like at this point in time, right, because there's not a single specific leader who's leading this, it's, it's, they're saying it's the people and it's the people's movement. Do we feel like we have the same, I guess, drive behind all these different areas? And I know there's conversations like in healthcare, we're talking about health equity mm-hmm. um, and education. There's conversations about educating us um, around different things, but is there that centralized um, movement that's happening that seemed to be happening, I guess, back in the 1950s? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. The the centralized movement is and you guys will remember was, you know, it started off with just uh, Black Lives Matter. And then somebody accidentally started the catchphrase of defund the police. Right. <laughs> that, that turned into a disaster. Right. An immediate disaster. We had to repaint over the defund the police part in D.C. We didn't mean all that. We just meant Black Lives Matter. <laughs> um, and, and so that's what I'm seeing now, thank God, uh, being the focus of a lot of organizations is, OK, so obviously we can never say that those particular words again of defund the police. But like, what is the solution? Is it reallocation? Is it redesign? You know, what makes you feel safe and unsafe? And these are all questions that obviously we're, we're asking on a macro level, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, again, almost misses the point of it's about black people and right. their yes. experience with the police. And, and I think people, we go into, I'm seeing these organizations go into different cities to be like, let's test and figure out what should we do. I'm like, you should probably oversample in the African-American, the minority communities that are dealing with this issue on a regular basis. And so, I mean, unfortunately, the politics side of defund the police is really all these police unions, hmm. they're the ones that control the, the, the budgets. They're the ones that control, um, you know, what police are are and are not trained in, what they can hmm. and cannot do. And I can tell you right now, some of these contracts, they are 10, 15 year contracts. Mm-hmm. There is no breaking or changing them. There is no megaphone or standing outside or a mayor. It's just sort of the way that the nitty gritty of the town politics hmm. works. That's a good point. And that's when it becomes a political movement because you know, we're specifically talking about how do we change policing in America, which which is literally, you know, old roundup black people. That's what police were. It was to police black people from the get go. Right. So now that we're in 2021, how do we re 
recreate, reimagine, reallocate? Is it more school funds? Is it this, that? But again, the politics of it is these police unions and they are not going to let go of their contracts. And most people and most cities are, are they're tied. Can't do yeah. anything for 10 years. Yeah. But even, you know, and go, so I think, I think, go ahead, yeah. So I think even when it comes to, you know, the involvement of, of the movements from civil rights to now Black Lives Matter, and do we have a centralized voice? Do we have um, one person kind of standing up for, again, quote unquote, defunding the police reallocation? Um, and I think, you know, obviously with the with social media, that has changed the game significantly. It has, absolutely. Um, as, as we look to, you know, all these different catchphrases and, and things like that. But what I saw this past fall, I think, in the summer, beginning of fall, mm-hmm. going back to D.C. with the Million Man March. I mean, we, it was kind of like we went back home. Yeah. You know, we went back to the basics. We went back to the roots to say, OK, why, what are we fighting for? Yeah. Um, and we were able to bring in all these powerhouses, bring in all these um, voices, black voices, bring, bring in the families of the victims that were shot and uh-huh. killed and gunned uh-huh. down by police officers and really say, what are we like, Shannon, like you said, what are we uh, working towards? What do we want to see change? What legislation do we want to push push forth as a group? And I think that's really important because you can have different voices I mean you have heavy hitters like Tamika Mallory uh-huh. you have you know your attorneys like um your attorneys across the, the, the country things like that who are really helping and advocating for these families uh-huh. but it's really important that when you push legislation that you need to have one sound voice right and I, that is extremely important when you because you have you getting all these different things pushing through different cities um at the state and and uh, local levels but now when you get to the federal level level you need to have that one voice right in order to be to effective change i think i think that's a great point because um actually went this past summer so when shannon was talking about like you know we're in the middle of a pandemic and we we i, I went to the march on washington um in dc last year and you know like my friends and I were just like this is the this is the movement and this is the moment to make this stand and to really um, show our support and also we're just we're not tolerating this anymore right mm-hmm. we're at a point where we we've seen this happen time and time again now this is the time that you know it was broadcasted on a, on a, on a larger level because we were all at home everybody's in a pandemic you know and it was kind of put on front street but I think when you talk about that that legislative piece you know you had you had folks there like um um the 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 specific leaders in the um, civic rights movement. So I'm thinking about um, Ben Crump was there. I think that mm-hmm. was the attorney that you were talking mm-hmm. about. You have um, Al Sharpton, who was there, who has been somebody who has been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, but specifically highlighting these families. And that was a really powerful, I remember that, it was a really powerful moment in um, on the March on Washington because we're hearing the voices of people who have been directly impacted by police violence. Right. Um, and police brutality. And so putting that on front street and I think to your point, like getting everybody kind of organized around what are we asking for? What, what are we asking for? Right. To make sure it's not defund the police, but it's allocation of funds or whatever the case right. may be. We need to make sure that we're on the same page. Right. Jermichael, I think you were going to say something. And right. Yeah. And I think that's just a, a very interesting point. Right. And I think even right when we kind of get into these conversations, right, like should it be defund the police? Should it be reallocate the police? You have a mix of folks who are like, you know, look, you know, the, the older guard. Right. You know, and also we have to understand, right, too, that 
you know, our community oftentimes deal with a form of respectability politics, right? Hmm. Which historically comes from, uh, you know, operating in a manner that appeases white folks. Yes, yes. Um, But also as a survival mechanism at the same time, right? So it's just a, a very interesting parallel mixed with, yo, Folks are still dying in the streets. Like, mm-hmm. we don't care what you call it. We just need the money move. Right. Because this ain't working. Right. And I think it's very interesting. Like, I live in a, I live in Richmond, Virginia, right, which is an urban uh, city, uh, a predominantly black city, right? And the conversations around police funding is very, it's very interesting because we talk about police funding in regards to safety. But many black folks still don't feel safe, mm-hmm. right? Like, we have been putting money into policing for generations, right? Whether they be black cops, they be brown cops, uh, or white cops, right? We do not feel safe. So obviously, we might want to shift some things forward, right? And so we see, like, in cities like Austin, Texas, where they reallocated funds from their police uh, uh, fund to a homeless shelter. They bought a hotel and provided housing for people uh, who who don't have housing. And and my my father lives in Austin, Texas, and you see the homelessness downtown, right? And so what is a tangible way to show people like, hey, like we provided housing with this. And I think that's the tough part, right? Because we use these very abstract terms and people, People, is, it, I tell folks all the time, never underestimate how, mo- how much folks want things to stay the same. And it's not that reallocating money to housing or summer job programs for youth is impossible. It's just that we're scared to, to try it out, right? Because then we, you know, the opposition uh, gets into a lot of this, these fear p- tactics, right? Yes. Uh, crime will go up, right? Or riffraff will come to your neighborhood, right? Which is anti-black rhetoric. That's that's really true. Um, and you made me think about a point recently. Like we know, I mean, over-policing has been happening in black and brown communities for a very long time. Um, I, I think about that Netflix documentary, Crack, that came out um, mm-hmm. recently. And I remember watching that and we had a discussion actually at work about it. But um, back in the 1970s, I think the total population um, in prisons was around 200,000 people. Fast forward, you know, the the Reagan laws that kind of happened, um, uh, this this war on drugs. And now right now, I think we're up to like two and a half, three million people who are mm-hmm. in prison now. And so like there talk about legislation. There was some very specific legislation that was put in place that impacted millions of people to now being locked behind bars. And so, you know, just imagine if we did have resources that were dedicated to helping people back then um, with drug use or helping people back then with issues around poverty, um, housing, um, education, all these different things. Instead of putting resources towards, you know, these these social determinants, we've now put resources to prisons. Um, and, I, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, I know... I've heard that recently Biden um, changed a law around the prisons being able to sue people, you know, sue if they um, have they don't have all their beds full or something like that. I don't know if you've heard anything around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the details in terms of uh, institutions in terms of like, you know, their legal uh, capacity. Uh, but I do know one of his executive orders that he did sign was the federal government to move away from 
private prisons, right? Okay. Yes. Contracting okay. policies um, in regards to that, which is still big. Uh, and Shannon, correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say, even though uh, that was a very big step, federal prisons only account for what less than ten percent of the total uh, prison okay. population. Okay. Um, most of most of your, your your folks who are incarcerated, and if you black, right, your cousins and them, yeah, right, are in local jails, or local and state jails, which have a have a horrendous track record when it comes to safety and health, especially for black women. Yeah. Yes. Um, and people yeah. with that uh, with disabilities, like even in Virginia, which is uh, a more progressive state now. We still have systemic issues within our criminal justice system, especially in our state prisons, that they'll review constantly in regards to women's health and inmate health. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think there's something like two million people that are currently incarcerated in the United States, which is the largest out of any country in the nation. We like to lock up our citizens and give them no hope. That's just how we roll around here. Um, and and the, the private prisons were, were extra cash money machines. Mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. only like 200,000 people in them, but they shouldn't exist in the first place period stop I mean uh, you know an even worse level on all of this are the contracts that these state prisons mm-hmm. and these state local uh, uh, prison facilities have with ICE right. and detaining people inside of prisons because the United States don't know what to do with the people that they collected at the border there's so many different levels of things that we need to figure out and address but you know thinking about and going back to um, you, you, our hot top about the Nobel Prize. I think one of the things that I am almost thankful for for that is that um, I think the pressure from other nations is what's really going to be the change That's here. That's a good yes. point. That's a good and, point. And, and, and the acknowledgement of, of the systemic racism that is happening here um, is going to, you know, Congress just took up reparations again this week. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a really great point because I mean, and we, we mentioned this earlier, but like the movement, right? Like in the UK, we saw our black brothers and sisters over there um, in the street talking about the, the brutality and the uh, racism that they've mm-hmm. um, also felt in, in that, in that country. I mean, we've seen that all over the world. And I think to your point, that's powerful, right? Like if people are saying, if, if, if we're literally seeing it on TV, all the stuff that is happening in the United States and everybody else in the in the world are saying, dang, y'all y'all dealing with this over there and y'all supposed to be the land of the free right. and the brave and, and everything right. else. And so um, I think that's a really great point is that that is some pressure. That right. is some pressure. We're supposed if, to be. If this, the United you know, States was a different country and saw what the United <laughs> States was doing here, we'd be sanctioning them. We'd be putting boots in the ground. Right. But, oh, yeah. You know, we don't know how to take that mirror and look at ourselves. And so at least, you know, maybe we're going to be pure pressured into because even Germany continues to pay reparations to all sorts of different That's countries true. in Africa yep. for the stuff that they do and you know what they say I'm sorry every time they cut that check <laughs> 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 I think that's that's a great point to end right. on. Right. Um, but you know, to just wrap it all up to like we talked about, everyone has a role to play mm-hmm. in this movement. Um, whether you are a black or brown person, whether you are a white ally, everyone has a role to play. Um, and my suggestion is to take on that role to to 
to really understand how are you going to be the change that you want to see. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, we talk about not having necessarily one person to pinpoint to uh, for this movement. And that could be a good thing. Pinpoint you to know? yourself. Pinpoint to yourself. Right. There we go. Pinpoint right. to yourself. Pinpoint to yourself. <laughs> um, so that I, we, we always want to leave the audience with uh, a gem of the day. And we like for our guests to uh, kind of share a gem of the day, something you're thinking about this week or, um, you know, something that's been on your mind. And so I want to offer you both the opportunity to talk a little bit about, you know, which, which I'll leave in the people. Go ahead, Jermichael. You can go first this time. You've been so gracious today. Oh, man, you know, you always have to be when you have lovely ladies, so just yourselves. Um, Jim, uh, I will say that, you know, get engaged. I think that is just a big thing, right? I think in over the course of this pandemic, right, it's been very isolating for a lot of people. Uh, just know that there are communities out here. Even if they have to be into a virtual capacity to folks who, you know, are safer to come outside. And, and one of the organizations I definitely recommend is the Urban League Graduates for Young Professionals. It has changed my life a couple times. Uh, but more importantly, know who represents you uh, uh, at the local level. If you have children or you don't have children, it's still important to know who your school board member is. Know who your county supervisor or your city council person is. Know your mayor and your DA and your sheriff. Uh, most people don't know is that your sheriff, your DA, uh, are two of the most powerful people in your mm. municipality because you can't impeach them at a local level. They Most of the time, they can only be impeached at a state level. Uh, but they decide who gets prosecuted, right, uh, in the local jail. They decide what the conditions are, are like in the local jail. So just continue that. Uh, and just stay engaged, right? And more importantly, take care of yourselves. Drink your water. You know, call your mama. Right. <laughs> it, it, does, it does help. <laughs> I'm going to build on that. It's also to say do a little stretching before you go to sleep. <laughs> I did that last um, night. <laughs> great way. Uh, I morning. will say, you know, Jermichael kept it local. I'm going to keep it global. Be global citizens. Okay. There's more than just the, the Fox News is and, and the CNNs and MSNBCs. Go check out BBC. Mm-hmm. Go listen to Al Jazeera America. Get an idea how the outside world is looking back in. It might give you a little bit of perspective. Also, when this is all over, if you haven't, please travel. Amen. Please, please travel. Amen. That is the secret to understanding our place in the world. You know, the United States is only the place is the only place that really is like really like obsessed with racism. If you were anywhere else, this is about money. Black people have been, you know, Bridgerton. Everybody watch Bridgerton. So that was Princess Charlotte. That was a black, black queen. The black lords and dukes. You know why? Because it wasn't about their color. It was about their money. Oh, I like. I that. like that too. I like, I like that. that too. Um, and just you know. Keeping it local too, right? Like um, Jermichael made a point. We actually have elections coming up, yes. and our sheriff is up. Um, you know that race is coming up soon. Our mayor, our mayor is coming up soon. Yes. Who else? Council? Not. I don't think it's the council no. yet. No. So mayor, county legislator, county legislator. Yes, absolutely. So definitely get involved, like everyone said. Um, you know, gain more perspective, um, looking globally, and then you'll start to see how you can, again, like I always say, affect the change um, and be the change. Be the change. Be Point the change. to yourself. Point to yourself. Right. Point to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yourself. So I appreciate you guys, my YP family, Shannon, Jermichael. I love you guys always. Thank you for tuning in Bye. to the. 
Black Gems Dive In podcast. Episode three is done. This has been a great conversation. Appreciate you um, both. And I appreciate your time. Yes. Peace, y'all. Much love. Howdy, booze. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Gems Dive In podcast. Make sure you rate and subscribe on all of the major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Black Gems Dive In on Twitter and Instagram and at Black Gems Dive In podcast on Facebook. 